Imagine inventing something revolutionary. Perhaps it's a device that could diagnose disease instantly, or maybe even a highly efficient battery. You might run and quickly try to file a patent to secure your genius, but what if the true value is actually realized by making it available to anyone? Especially if it was for something as simple, as essential as water. According to the World Health Organization, one in three people globally don't have access to clean drinking water. Korean Thomas here, and welcome to another Epidose of Serotonin. My guest today has spent a major part of his career working with NGOs and organizations like the UN to develop solutions that create clean drinking water filters with the help of 3D printed technology. And the best part, he's trying to make them free and open to everyone. His name is Mauricio Cordova. He's the founder and CEO of Faircap, a social venture creating these 3D printed water filters that immediately purify water without the use of chemicals. Its first product that got a lot of attention was the Faircap Mini. It's a bottle cap that screws into plastic bottles and enables users to take water from any source and drink it. They've branched out to make other filtration kits that are affordable and don't require an energy source, making them highly practical, and all to address the problem of contaminated water drinking, especially in developing nations. We begin the show discussing Mauricio's experiences building Faircap, and then we dig into ways his team is using open technologies and a collaborative model to help address the basic need of clean drinking water for thousands of people. Without further ado, here's Mauricio. I kind of want to just understand like, what led you on this mission to start Faircap? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a long story, but um, I mean, to make it short, uh, there were a lot of influences uh, coming from like social entrepreneurship, like the growth of social entrepreneurship in the last uh, decade, let's say, uh, like projects related to the bottom of the pyramid, um, and also from the maker uh, movement uh, as well. Uh, so all of these things combined uh, with like my background of uh, in economics, uh, but also like um, having worked for Intel, like uh, knowing the power of technology to also promote like development and to solve like really important uh, problems. Basically, the combination of all of those things, uh, especially with like the maker movement, because it's open and collaborative, and you don't need to be an, an engineer or a designer to, to actually come up with an idea, pro prototype it, uh, and then even make it. Um, that's that's kind of like the whole um, uh, like journey that I had. Exactly where the idea came was in the middle of the rainforest in, in Peru, um, about almost six years ago now. And, uh, but of course you had to have like these kind of like influences and, and having read like articles or, or a few months before I was like at the, uh, at the Maker Fair in San Francisco in, in San Mateo. Uh, also like visiting the D school and like um, getting exposed to all this, this maker uh, community in San Francisco and also the, um, um, the uh, collaborative, collaborative economy uh, because like a lot of projects that are open and collaborative started in San Francisco. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, all of these experiences were combined basically at one point and then you had like this idea and, and then you realize, okay, let's, how can you do it? No? And then the journey after the idea was also like very long and very complex. Uh, but, uh, basically starting, starting with like YouTube, um, Wikipedia, you know, to learn like about different filtration technologies and so on. Um, that's how I started like researching, like how can you make this idea? So after Peru, after like having this idea, uh, like three months after I moved to back to Barcelona, that's where I was living before and I, where, where I did a startup uh, before. 
kind of like Airbnb before Airbnb existed um, back in 2003. Um, so I, from Peru, I would go back to, to Barcelona and, and I see a post on a friend's uh, Facebook uh, that about this event no? that they were organizing um, a lot of makers, a lot of designers and a lot of like hippies and like, very, you know, like environmental activists to prototype basically 12 ideas during a month, uh, living in an abandoned castle outside Paris in France, but with having all the, the best tools available uh, and having like the sponsorship from Autodesk, for example. Mm -hmm. So it was like a combination of like hippies and designers and activists. Uh, and, and that was basically where I got to know a lot of people that uh, basically at the end made the project uh, possible. And yeah, I actually read about that story about you um, finding the idea when you're in the rainforest in in uh, in Peru and uh, actually understanding like what the whole problem is. So I guess I actually brought some uh, water bottle. Of, uh, this is a Brita filtered water bottle, and I did like a product review on this one. But um, I think it was really interesting when I came across your product and it was open source. What was your journey like developing the MVP and iterating and making the initial designs? So after the rainforest, when I uh, went back to my town here in Arequipa in Peru, uh, basically the first thing that I did is take a plastic bottle and feed a PVC pipe with like activated carbon because I knew that that would like filter out like uh, taste and some chemicals mm. uh, and try to see if it worked. Uh, so basically it was like a, I don't know, like a half an hour try, you know, experiment, but uh, that meant made me realize that it was not gonna work because uh, you needed like a more surface area to filter out the water um, because the carbon was very packed in a small diameter. Um, so, but that was like the first idea basically to, to see if that would work, uh, you know, glue the PVC pipe to uh, an existing cap and just see if it worked uh, and drink the water. I mean, that, that was basically. Uh, and then I realized that that wouldn't work. And also like other existing technologies that I knew about like ceramics uh, that were used for like uh, camping and backpacking uh, filters, um, yeah. very expensive filters that cost like a hundred dollars. Uh, that would all, uh, wouldn't also work because you needed like a very, you had only like a very small space to fit uh, these and the surface area would be very small again. And that led me to continue researching, then I found like uh, special membranes that had been developed for a long time before, um, but that could be used because they had a high flow rate uh, in very high uh, surface area. So that's, um, that's how I knew like what technology could be used uh, inside, but then to actually make the prototypes and like make the fittings and all that, uh, I'm not a designer, and I, although I could have learned like to design on 3D and then um, to everything basically. Uh, that's when um, I realized that this would be much better if it was a collaborative project uh, and more open. Because uh, first, like the, the, I mean, I was trying to make an impact, not to make a startup or like to make money. Uh, because from the start, like the idea was to make it for like one dollar. So, so I, I, I knew that you wouldn't be able to make any money if you want to make it for one dollar. Um, but that, that's okay because before I had uh, already done other startups and I had already had like some savings and I had worked for Intel. So, so, so like I, I, I could afford to do that. Uh, but also like on a more idealistic um, point, it was like um, 
you know, there's like very serious problems that haven't been solved in the world. Uh, basically, we're trying to go to Mars, uh, but there's like a billion people who don't have clean water and like millions of people dying from like very, you know, preventable diseases that are really easy to fix. Uh, now we're seeing like this pandemic, for example, and then, you know, like it's a bit of like, not ridiculous because also like going to Mars could, you know, bring new technologies and new uh, innovations. Um, but at the same time, you know, like why don't we solve like these really important issues? So then you realize that like, most of the talent is uh, focused on, on solving like, the richer uh, part of the population in the world, right? Uh, so, so I really thought that like if a lot of talent, you know, from Europe, from the US, from India, from China, from Africa could be connected like online and, and you know, um, could solve these kind of issues, then it would be much, much, much better. No, I mean, the world would like evolve in, in terms of like what's important and what are the priorities. Um, so that was like the main like idea of the project. And of course, like uh, doing something open uh, like uh, was dear to me because I had already collaborated in, on couch surfing, for example, and I had met like really amazing people. Um, I was translating the page on, on to Spanish, for example, and and um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, like I, I came from more of a traditional business type of um, background, and I did economics in the U.S. and then um, uh, more economics at the, at the university at the London School of Economics, mm -hmm. and I wanted to work for in, in investment banking. I did an internship at Merrill Lynch in New York um, back in '96, '95, mm -hmm. um, but. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, the type of people that you meet in these settings, um, it's very different from the type of people that you meet in like maker spaces and um, open source environments. So, so that, yeah, I love the philosophy of sharing in, in, in trying to solve problems that are important. And if you can make that at a low cost, and that's amazing. I kind of want to know more about that. So I know with your given skill sets, I mean, your background in economics, how did you go about uh, how did you navigate through that process of trying to find people for the right skills to actually build and uh, actualize the fair cap prototype? Um, yeah, well, as I said, like it was like um, a, f a few couple of years before, basically, or yeah, more or less 2013. Mm -hmm. um, I was very interested in the collaborative economy uh, because I, I saw that even for traditional economics, that was it was gonna make, a, it could make a revolution. Uh, 2009, like Kickstarter was founded. Uh, for me, that was, that's probably one of the best innovations in the world. Uh, like, you know, having people just propose an idea with a three minute video, instead of like doing like a business plan and trying to find investors and try to make a business before even knowing that if it's gonna work or not. That for me was my main, uh, innovations in terms of economics and, and trying to make the world better also also like not to like have everything concentrated in terms of power and money in a few hands but let the community you know help uh, creative people uh, so since 2009 I've been thinking about like what could I do like what kind of project I could do to to uh, to also crowdfund it um, I had like crazy ideas but um, 
basically that was also a contribution to the, to this uh, project or why I, I chose to do it like collaborative and open source. Okay. Um, but um, that's in terms of economics, but uh, in terms of like the technical parts, um, basically uh, I had a girlfriend that uh, she's an architect and uh, very talented and she uh, started at the um, uh, Barcelona Institute of Advanced Architecture where they started the first um, uh, basically Fab Lab in uh, one of the first ones in Europe mm. and they're very close to the MIT uh, uh, media network uh, Fab Lab network and so she, she started studying there and then I um, I always like heard about like the CNC machining and, and so on but I, I you know I thought like that was crazy because it was like the future maybe but wouldn't be very useful you know, to, to do something. Um, and then um, when I had the idea, I remember like 3D printing, you know, like you could do a prototype, maybe you would even be able to make like a final product. Um, so that's that's like that's how I decided to, okay, let's, let's see, you know, where, where I can do the 3D printing, where I can do like uh, the design of these ideas. And then I went to like Barcelona, the city of Barcelona has like these open spaces, kind of like libraries, but for um, prototyping. So they have like 3D printers and, and, and small workshops. So I went there and then they loved the idea um, because actually this maker uh, space was focused on like sustainability. Uh, so they loved the idea and they supported me a lot. Uh, they even put like a designer to um, to help me like personally. Normally they, they give you the machines, but they they, they don't actually do the design. So we uh, worked together and uh, I gave him like a couple of sketches and, and he helped me uh, with the actual 3D model. We 3D printed that uh, and that's when this event in France um, was published. So I, I, I made like a short video um, and uh, with the 3D printed prototype, let's say, just the shape basically because at that point I didn't know much, much about 3D printing or, or if it was possible to make a filter with 3D print. Mm -hmm. I submitted that and then that's where I met a lot of people who are very creative and they had like the machining and, and the machines and everything. So that's when I um, basically I, was, I also did the 3D printing with different ideas and but that's also when I realized that this is like too soon to, to basically in the terms of the development of 3D printing and the technology itself because it's not very consistent the quality the yeah. three prints uh, also because the tolerances like all the small details especially if, if you're working with water uh, especially if you're drinking with uh, water that you're going to be drinking uh, like the chemicals and um, like it's not food safe and, and so on and right. also the speed basically if you want to solve this problem you need to make millions of um, filters it would take like hours just to 3d print one so so then i, I realized that uh, 3D printing was very useful for prototyping and for designing and having an actual uh, physical object uh, to communicate, to, to get, get feedback from people, uh, but not to make it. Uh, I met this huge community of people who are like very committed to the environment, very committed to like open source, to sharing. And, um, and that, for me, that was the, the biggest change no? and, and I recommend anyone to, to kind of like even if you do like a normal business project uh, to always do it more collaboratively because that's um, 
that for me that it solves a lot of problems a lot of issues that you have even personally because uh, you might be asking yourself if this is the the right uh, project or the right idea uh, you get a lot of validation ideas criticism and that's uh, yeah and yeah. technically i could uh, basically one of the persons that had another project in during this event called POC 21 he uh, offered me to help uh, and he worked for months um, to actually we even uh, traveled uh, abroad to to go to see the factories and um, so we we yeah we collaborated a lot uh, and then uh, on like through facebook um, i met uh, other people uh, that they had time to to help and, and yeah I mean, it's all done like on social media, uh, networks of friends, and um, even just publishing on, on my Facebook, like I have this problem, then other people would come up, you know, and help. And I, I think it's also very important to that you have like, like a very clear uh, and I guess impactful mission, mm -hmm. because a lot of people have helped the project just because it's, it's an idea that should exist. Right. Well, how many people are on your uh, the FairCap team right now uh, since you started? Well, at least 50 people have contributed to the project. But wow. um, but right now, like more full-time, it's uh, basically three to four people, uh, okay. depending on the like the, the, like the design work, basically. So full-time, full-time, I mean, all the time, I'm doing everything, basically. Uh, and then Ximena, she's... Um, She's also helping and now basically with all the uh, funding applications and also the marketing. Um, and uh, on the, the, the actual design, we have uh, collaborators that are uh, coming and going, basically, uh, depending on the, on the needs. Uh, but there's Cynthia, she's in, in the Canary Islands. Uh, there's Gillian, he's a professor, design professor at the best design school in, in Paris, in France. Wow. Um, there's Daniel, he's in Portugal in a super tiny small town in Portugal. Uh, and he's super talented engineer, for example. Joel, he's, he's also like a maker and designer and um, he's uh, in Barcelona. Uh, and then we collaborate with like even companies. I mean, we collaborate with companies in South Korea, um, in China as well, because we have a lot of uh, big manufacturing uh, experience. Yeah. Um, companies in Finland, for example, with a new media, a new Pro, uh, new filtration media that we're working with um, to remove viruses uh, and that's going to be more important for um, now for after COVID um, right. people are going to be more aware about like air but also like water or even in developing countries um, basically um, uh, the main recommendation is to wash your hands but uh, billions of people don't have clean water so how can you wash your hands yeah that's a good point that, that was actually going to lead into my next question uh, I was going to ask, uh, what are some upcoming projects that uh, Faircap is working on right now? So I guess we have like three main projects. Uh, one is um, a small uh, water filter, the next version for the bottle filter that's going to filter viruses. And that's going to be, uh, you can, you're going to be able to use it for reusable bottles. Uh, so even like if you have like a hydro flask or like a camelback bottle, you're going to be able to adapt it to those type of oh, bottles yeah. that you already have. So that's one. Uh, then the next one, and we're working with a company from Germany. It's a social company called Sol Bottles, making like glass bottles for um, people who are aware about like plastics and uh, single-use plastics. So they want to avoid uh, drinking water from, 
from bottles, but just uh, water from the tap. But in many countries, you cannot drink water from the tap. And a lot of people from Germany, they travel and they cannot use their bottles. Right. So we're doing a co-designing um, uh, experiment with them. Like we're working together uh, and they're going to commercialize it and we manufacture it. So, so it's going to be really interesting. That's, That's really one, cool. The bottle uh, version. Then we have a new uh, filter for families for emergencies and developing countries. Um, and we've been working with students from MIT, uh, from the MIT D-Lab, also to, to like see what's the best design and the best ideas. And uh, I think we're going to have a really, really good <laughs> model that it's going to be a, a kind of like game-changing design for, for, for basically low, low, low income and, and emergencies uh, settings. Because it's going to be able to filter water through gravity, through a hand pump, and also be self-cleaning with the hand pump. So, so something that hasn't been done yet, uh, very low cost, like we're aiming to make it for like $15. Um, and it's gonna also filter viruses. So that's a family filter for removing viruses. And then we have like this testing kit uh, that is gonna be also super low cost, uh, super easy to make, uh, super easy to do, to conduct the testing, to uh, measure E. coli in water. Basically, E. coli is an indicator of fecal contamination. Uh, e. coli not necessarily makes you sick, but um, but it's a con it's an indicator that there's fecal con contamination with bacteria and viruses in the water. And normally, that has it's super expensive. Uh, you need like special equipment uh, or like uh, training and so on. Uh, if you go to a private lab, to you have to send samples, and it's going to cost maybe like fifty to I don't know, more dollars per test. Um, and uh, on like for portable set, for like developing settings, sometimes you have like portable versions, but you need like an incubator that uh, consumes a lot of power and the incubator can cost between 400 and $1,000. Um, so it's very expensive equipment. NGOs don't have it, uh, especially in Africa. Or if you go to like a very remote place, you need like a big bag or, you know, like it's super complicated and that's why uh, people don't do these kind of testings. Uh, but we found like uh, from the WHO, uh, we found um, they have an online course, it's open and it's free. They recommend to use like these small, tiny, compact dry plates uh, that are made out of plastic um, with some media so that the chromophoric media so that they can, the bacteria can, can be shown in different colors. Um, but basically, uh, they're super low cost and we found uh, like the, the manufacturer from Japan and they cost less than, than, than $1 per test. But normally you need like very expensive equipment, uh, again. So we devised like a portable incubator that it's foldable, uh, it's lightweight, less than 100 grams. Um, uh, it keeps the temperature at 35 degrees using uh, 1.5 watts per hour compared to like 60 or like uh, watts per hour for big incubators. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically it's like super low cost, super low power. Uh, it's gonna cost less than $10. Um, uh, and you're gonna be able to make uh, water testing anywhere in the world uh, with a phone charger, basically. So. And, and all these projects are open source. They're, uh, they're you, the, the designs are, access through the FairCab website? So not, not right now, because okay. um, first uh, uh, we need to validate a lot of these things uh, yeah. so that, you know, uh, 
because we're dealing with water and contamination, then um, you have to make sure that everything works fine. Um, and also, like, um, we, I mean, we, we say that the project is more collaborative and open, not necessarily open source from the, like, legal or um, uh, licensing type of uh, point of view. Yeah. Because uh, open source licensing is very complicated. Uh, and there's some aspects that, uh, on our case, we don't agree with. For example, many licenses, they, um, they would let any company uh, copy what you have done uh, and not contribute to the project, for example. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily have to contribute. And uh, we don't agree with that because uh, if you're going to be able to make money out of this, um, and uh, especially for something that is needed, uh, like clean water, or like knowing if the water is uh, clean or not with like a testing kit, um, we, we think that you should be able to contribute to the project or, or you know, or share your results or like um, not charge a lot of money out of uh, what we have already developed. So, so it, there's, um, yeah, it's, it's a bit complicated there. Uh, also, we know, uh, and we have had experiences like that, that companies, existing companies that are making a lot of money out of these products that are super low cost to make actually, uh, they, they could harm the project and they could um, let you um, basically make, make the project not, they, they tried already to not, uh, so that Faircam doesn't exist basically. Yeah. Um, that has happened to us before. Um, and uh, we decided to, you know, have a final product that actually works, that is tested, that um, it's being used in the field, that NGOs trust and, and so on. And then, of course, we want to collaborate with anyone, with big companies, with small companies, with labs, uh, with NGOs, um, to make this the, lowest, the, uh, the most affordable way possible. And that's the only way to make that not by one single project or one single person or uh, organization. It's by collaborating. Uh, right. Because one of the biggest expenses and, uh, and most difficult parts is the distribution. Um, so we can do the design, we can do the manufacturing, but the distribution, you need to collaborate and you need to reach basically billions of people. And how you do that? And not even with traditional like uh, business practices or with uh, with the distributors, you need to actually collaborate and, and see ways of like reducing the cost of distribution and, and the simplicity. Uh, I think one of the one of your really big quotes is that you you call water the operating software of life, and I kind of I really resonated with that. I think that's a really good uh, way to describe it, especially since your 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 team is looking at water not necessarily as a, a privilege but as a right that you're trying to provide to everyone. Yeah, that, that we kind of thought of that because um, like you have like super talented people, you know, the, the smartest people are doing like uh, really cool things like with technology, but traditional technology, especially like lately, you know, has been focused on uh, software and hardware, but more for electronics and um, tablets and phones and so on. Um, but uh, again, you know, like if you don't have water, you, <laughs> you're not going to be able to use any of those devices. And, um, so, so if it's kind of like trying to uh, make people real, realize, especially younger people who have already, you know, been born into this kind of generation that you have everything, um, that there's still billions, billions of people that don't have water. Like that's, it's ridiculous sometimes when you think about it. 
And what are, was just declared a human rights in 2010? That's like nothing, like 10 years ago. So, and then who keeps track of that? You know, what happens when a government doesn't really follow up on, on improving water sources or a company doesn't? You know, who, who follows up, up on that? Nobody. Like there's like other human rights that are being, you know, like strictly followed by a lot of organizations and, and so on. But basically um, there's like wash cluster, you know, with UNICEF and um, the, the, the UN, you know, with the, the refugee commission and so on. That, that kind of like, um, they, they gather a lot of organizations in, in, to solve these issues when there's an emergency. But the actual, um, but emergencies, maybe like uh, a few tens of millions of people get affected by emergencies every year. Now there's like 60 million refugees. And when there's an emergency with like a flood or like a cyclone, maybe there's like 100,000 or a million people like affected. But uh, you're talking about like a, a continuous condition of like impoverished people who cannot afford drinking water. And um, that's, you're talking about hundreds of millions of people. And there's only like NGOs who can do only, you know, something, I mean, like a small impact, uh, because you're talking about a huge problem and which should be solved by governments, actually. I mean, the yeah. best uh, solution is to build the infrastructure and that should be done by governments because that's the only way to, to make it low cost and effective and efficient. And, uh, and controlled and, and you know so you can control the quality and so on but governments are actually decreasing budgets uh, the population is growing and yeah I mean yes. nobody is really making much of a, an impact uh, there and we are a tiny solution I mean we're doing like a point of use water filter for maybe millions of people who would be able to afford it and, and or have it by having a donation for example um, but the issue is 10 times or a thousand times bigger than what we're doing. So, so yeah, I mean, we started with this. Uh, hopefully, we're going to do something bigger in the future as well. That's, that's a mission. But um, still, the problem is, like, huge and, and has to be solved through collaboration. That's the only way. That's a really good point that you brought up, that uh, it's really the governments that should be, should be working on this problem. And you're a social entrepreneur. How, how do you see social entrepreneurship paving the path for filling the gaps that government should be solving. I think, yeah, social entrepreneurship can fill the gaps, basically. Um, but there's so many areas uh, that are, you know, there's a potential for innovation. Um, there's many areas that should be, like, uh, key, that, that are so important and so um, big in terms of volumes as well, because normally you want to have, like, a market where you can, you know, like, there's a lot of people who could uh, buy your product or, or your service. Uh, but actually that's, that's one of the main important aspects of, um, of like developing countries. You know, there's like hundreds of millions of, uh, of people who need these kind of uh, solutions. Um, so that's also very important for social entrepreneurs. I mean, to realize that, um, yeah, I mean, maybe before, like people wouldn't be able to afford something for like $5 or $10 or even $50. But uh, the base, the most representative example of that is uh, smartphones. Uh, you can find smartphones in Africa, in Latin America, you know, even in small villages, uh, because the cost went down, but also the, the the power went up, right? 
So, I mean, you have already examples of like uh, high volumes of huge impact um, and they're very sustainable. I mean, they're economically sustainable. I mean, phone companies are making a lot of money out of uh, selling phones, right? Yes. So, so it's more about like uh, more technology, more design, um, and uh, solving problems that people already they have, no? Uh, yeah. In a better, more economic way, um, and why not more collaborative way as well? No? Involve the users to to give you feedback. Involve the users to give you recommendations. Exactly. Yeah. Making these more available and accessible can increase and induce. Uh, innovation rather than inhibit it. Yeah, other aspects I think that are really, really important is to make like kits or uh, to make, um, because if you make a final product and yeah, that's it, uh, then uh, you know, you're not making pe- people smarter, but if you make kits that people can assemble them- themselves or even like small uh, entrepreneurs, micro entrepreneurs, they can go from house to house to install these things or to promote them or that's also really, I think, very cool. Uh, to do, um, and if you can find some materials, also that's also really really interesting as models, no? as models of developing like a social entrepreneurship project. Uh, something I wanted to ask you. I know you touched on it a little bit uh, because you talked about making these kits, testing water for viruses. How did the current situation impact your team and yourself? Uh, no, we actually have been very lucky. Um, and this actually helps uh, the project 10 times uh, more than if there was no pandemic. Um, basically, the awareness of people, just regular people, about like uh, the health impacts of like uh, contamination, either through air or like your hands or uh, water, that's going to, I mean, that, that, that's amazing. That, that people are aware that uh, there's tiny things that can kill you. That's super important. Uh, basically, in Peru, we had a cholera outbreak. Uh, in the 90s. Uh, before that, like the conditions were super dirty, like in markets, in restaurants, uh, at, at home as well. And uh, because it was a huge campaign to prevent deaths at that time, there were like 10,000 people dying in a couple of, a couple of weeks. Um, then that's, that's, that improved a lot on the health conditions of the country in general. So that's going to happen also with COVID, and that's it's huge awareness. Uh, people are going to be, they're going to know that there's like these tiny things that can kill you. Um, so for us, that's important, uh, like more awareness. And then um, also there's there's going to be a much bigger market for people to prevent this kind of uh, disease. Um, so that's also going to be uh, relevant to, to us. Uh, and on our more personal and um, like kind of like the team level, uh, it helped us concentrate on new designs, on uh, new developments uh, that we haven't been able to do because we're like busy doing like meetings and these kind of things. Yeah. And um, doing everything online, like all the meetings, all the work, uh, has been very, very useful um, to concentrate on, on very important things that we had to, to do. And during these like two months, we have developed like um, t- like three designs basically that we haven't been able. I mean, we have been working for basically a couple of years on solving one issue mm-hmm. um, and we didn't have the ideas. And now because we were like, like closed, <laughs> we couldn't do anything basically. Um, we decided to think about this and, and we came up with like really, really cool ideas that are going to be very useful for, for the filters and, and the testing kit. Um, so, so that has been super 
Good. And you, you also mentioned yourself um, that your team is spread out all through the world. One person's in Paris, Barcelona, all over the, uh, all over the globe. So that's, that's really yeah. good that you guys started working that way initially. Then... Yeah, from, from the very start, we, like, everything has been done uh, remotely. Everything, like, basically. Uh, uh, only in Barcelona, I have, like, a small kind of lab where I have, like, lots of tools, lots of um, parts and that I can, you know, test and have, you know, if you have an idea, you can prototype it right away. Uh, but fortunately, because I was traveling to Colombia and to UNICEF and also coming to Peru to actually prototype one of the solutions here with, like, low-income families, with a social company that installs uh, dry toilets in very humble uh, houses. Um, I brought a lot of these tools and a lot of these attachments and, and, and accessories. So that uh, had like small kind of like a portable um, workshop with me. And that has been helpful to, to actually make, make things. But yeah, I mean, you know, like design, uh, even prototyping, you can do it remotely because you can order uh, like CNC parts or uh, 3D printed parts from different services uh, around the world, actually. Uh, you can actually order like very advanced uh, parts from China, very low cost. Uh, they have like the latest machines. Were you registered as a, a partner for UNICEF? Basically, um, when once we had like these ideas and prototypes and so on, uh, then we needed the funding to, to, to manufacture a final filter. And uh, there was a call from a friend of mine from London, she she told me told me that there's like this call for actually innovations for humanitarian uh, relief. So we applied to that, uh, and without being a company, we didn't even have anything registered legally, and so uh, they accepted the idea to manufacture this and to fund the the manufacture of, of the project, and it's called the Humanitarian Innovation Fund, uh, based in London. Um, with that, uh, they also forced, basically they told us, you have to have a partner. Uh, and we had um, one of the judges who was working, uh, he's like the head of the water and sanitation from Oxfam in, in England. Uh, and we asked them if they could be the partner for the, the project and they, they, they agreed. And since then they have, they have helped us a lot with feedback uh, and contacts and even like the field trial that we did in Mozambique. We did it with Oxfam because they were like um, installing like dry toilets and also like water uh, uh, filters in, uh, in like families that had been victims of the, the cyclone last year. But most importantly, they, they help us with the feedback and uh, basically to validate ideas. And uh, they also, so the, that's why also we kind of like got to know that the University of Barcelona virus uh, lab because they also had done a project with them, but because it was very important because they do a lot of research uh, in the lab related to water contamination. So, so then we partner with them as well. So for us, it's super important to, to kind of motivate uh, researchers and students to, to work on this. So we were invited to Geneva. They do like a one, every year they do a meeting and that's where we um, got to meet all of the basically NGOs working on these issues, uh, UNICEF, the Red Cross. So we got to meet people from these, uh, but basically it was like this meeting where we met all of these uh, organizations. And uh, through those meetings with all these different people in the UN and also your own teams iterating on the product uh, and given the current situation of the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, what are you seeing? Is there anything new that you learned about climate change? 
climate change not so much because um, like I think the humanitarian organizations they're reacting to climate change more than uh, preventing uh, mm -hmm. because I think prevention is much much bigger than that and but so they they are more reactive because if there's like a flood I mean Mozambique for example there were two cyclones in one year that has never happened before and they were like huge uh, so all these organizations they have to adapt to to solve these problems I mean especially water and sanitation that's uh, those are two of the main ones when there's like a huge flat or uh, so every year there's like five or six different like huge uh, emergencies and before like because I didn't know much about this uh, and I don't come from the humanitarian sector but the, the issue is that when you see something happening so fast uh, and so big uh, now we can see it with COVID for example I mean the type of work and energy and the funding and all the resources and the people and so on it's so complicated to organize but um, that the, maybe my only criticism and but I understand why that happens is that they are a bit wary about innovations and it's a sector that hasn't uh, innovated very much um, but I understand them because they have a huge responsibility basically if somebody dies or if somebody gets sick because of trying a new product their reputation is on the line. Um, there could be huge impacts at the local level, like with the local population, they could destroy their facilities. Uh, so I think they have a huge responsibility, uh, but definitely more innovation is needed because uh, as I said, like there's these problems coming every year for years and years and years, and it's gonna happen every year in the next 50 years. So, so I mean, there has to be a better way to solve these issues. A better way is to, to have like facilities or like labs uh, where you can test this at the field level so that you can incorporate like makers, uh, entrepreneurs, um, universities, you know, to, to try to solve these problems. And I think that's, that's actually one of the benefits I see with making these open collaborative products uh, because uh, these open collaborative projects allow for people to personalize them to their community so yeah uh, but at the same time there's some products that need to be validated and tested and have have to be certified and so on and you know like this idealistic open source model of like uh, anyone making their own part or so on mm -hmm. that unfortunately doesn't work with some solutions so so i think it's a combination uh, and depending on the actual project or, or product that you want to do uh, you can do either um, or sometimes you have to combine both. That's the main motivation to contact uh, NGOs. It's not to sell them a product because first we don't feel that it's a product that can be sold right now to solve all the issues. Uh, the new design I think is gonna be really cool, but uh, but still we were learning more than uh, actually trying to sell like the, the final product. But for yeah. us, it's more collaborating with them to learn more about, uh, to learn the field conditions um, because they have a lot of experience. Uh, but basically, the end is to, to kind of like co-design something. And it's not about selling a product to them. So yeah, that's that's good. That it's not really about selling a product. I think one of the misconceptions, though, about social entrepreneurship and open source companies is that there's no way of generating revenue. There's no way of being sustainable. No, I think you can always make money out of uh, an idea. Uh, it just depends how you position it and how do you make your strategy to to. To, to actually charge something to somebody, no? I mean, that's that's a way to, to fund your, your project and your development and to make an impact. Uh, 
any depends on the actual product or solution or service. But uh, on our case, we combine uh, basically uh, grant uh, or like innovation contests and grant funding, uh, grant application uh, to so that we don't depend on like um, capital, let's say, in a return on capital so that we can make the lowest cost possible uh, products. That's, that's one part. Uh, so we, we believe in grant making and, and, and applying to these grants because we're trying to innovate and uh, you need some funding for the, the innovation part. All the design and all the logistics and all the administration is done basically for fraternity by our team. Um, and that's the power of open source as well because um, people are motivated to, to, do, to make something not because of making money or getting a salary. But the actual manufacturing and the mold making and all that, that that's expensive. Normally, I mean, nobody's going to do it for free. Right. Um, but a lot of the things that we have done are, are for free, like the research, the feedback. Our costs are super, super low. I mean, you would be surprised. Uh, normally, a product like this would cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars to develop. We paid like about $15,000 for the molding of the uh, FairCap project, for the FairCap filter. So That's amazing. Um, so, so yeah, so, so I, I think it's, it's a proof also that you can do design solutions and make a product, final product with like very low cost. You'll always find a way to make money, but it's harder to make money, but also return social impact. So I think that's, that's a really good way of putting that. Do you have any advice for social entrepreneurs? Um, first, it's a super long process <laughs> yeah. uh, and you never know when that's going to really pick up. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't think that these projects are going to really pick up until we have like a really, really, really final, very good, high quality and uh, low cost and solution. With the new design, I think we're, we, we have it. Um, but um, but it's, it has taken a lot of time. So, and there's going to be ups and downs and that's going to be uh, complicated. But if you're really motivated to do this, this on the long term, that's not an issue because, um, I mean, I, I mean, I care that... Uh, I wish that we had this solution yesterday so that a lot of people could have it and they could solve this issue. Um, at the same time, like it takes time, so so that's natural. Uh, so I don't like. I feel very good that we're on this for a long term and we're gonna find a solution. That's for sure. If you're dedicated and if you're collaborating with like smart people, you're gonna find solutions. I mean, that's that's for sure. But it's gonna take time. So because of that, and you know that it's gonna take time you have to prepare yourself. And that means that try to prototype the fastest and the earliest possible. You can prototype with anything, even with paper and a pencil. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not a not basically an excuse. I mean, I don't have a developer, or I don't have like, um, like a designer. I don't have, like I, I prototype with a plastic bottle and a PVC pipe. Um, and then uh, uh, prototype and then iterate and, and just ask anyone to for their opinion. Uh, don't be like closed-minded uh, and closed in terms of like uh, somebody's going to copy my idea or if you're working at, on a very important problem, I mean, hopefully more people copy your idea because then you can solve the problem. Uh, most problems are so so big that not one single person or company can, can solve them. So, so I would, uh, a few yeah. friends came to me and they wanted to make like these water stations for universities to, to filter water from the tap, but you know, have this bottle. And I could have said, oh, you know, like, no, I want to, I, 
the next project is going to be something like this. So I, I'm not going to tell you all, everything that I know. But no, I mean, on the opposite, like, uh, they can do it because if they do it, great. Uh, if maybe from that I learn something and I can have new ideas, I could also do uh, You could evolve. But basically, it's more about evolution of the whole uh, field or, or, or solutions that you're trying to solve. It's very important to, to open up and to see what everything, every other people are doing, but also what you can um, contribute to. Like maybe other people are already doing what you're doing or your idea. Uh, maybe uh, combine them or uh, collaborate, collaborate with them. Maybe you focus on some more specific that you realize or it's very important to be more open. I think to me that's the only way, that's why science has evolved. I mean, it's not because like everyone keeps their, you know, I have uh, the law of gravity, I, I'm going to keep it to myself. No, you publish it, you share it, you, you know, that's how academics uh, evolve. And that should be the same for uh, entrepreneurship. Especially in this era of yeah. post-capitalism, I feel like that's the only way to build a responsive economy. Uh, and also, like something very important, like like the most important thing is to like empower the user and also keep an eye on uh, different models because sometimes you have like just one model when you do your MVP, you know, you have like one model. I want to make like this kit for end users. Uh, if you do one kit for like the end user, you have to think about like different languages, different cultures, different like oh, like so many other variables that you're not thinking at the beginning to make a big impact. My guest today was Mauricio Cordova. He's the founder and CEO of FairCap, the open water filter project. You can support the project by heading over to faircap.org, and you can also check out the links in the description of this podcast. Serotonin is recorded, edited, and produced by myself. If you like the show, you can find the podcast online at tige.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and please be sure to rate it and leave a comment to share what you enjoyed or how I should improve. It helps out a ton. And if you've already done that, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think will get something out of it. You can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or even on my personal website, which is also linked. Until next time, this is Korean Thomas. And as always, thanks for tuning in.